0: Hello from ABA Tech Show 2019 in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Christopher Anderson.
1: Basha Rubin. Emily Wajert.
0: And we are on the road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you so much for joining us on the road. It's a pleasure to be here at the Hyatt Regency in Chicago. And today we are talking about the gig economy. Um, And as I was saying before, I thought we were going to talk about the jig economy, so I'm totally (laughs) unprepared for this interview, but we're going to go forward anyway. But before we do, uh, Basha Rubin and Emily, what's your last name, Emily? Wager. Emily (laughs) Wager, will you just please introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Absolutely, my name is Basha Rubin. I'm CEO and co-founder of Priori Legal. Priori is a global legal marketplace for in-house teams. And we've created two things, a global vetted network of boutique firms and a technology platform that sits on top of the attorney network and aims to drive efficiency at every stage of the process of working with outside counsel.
0: Very
2: cool. And I am Emily Wajert. I am an associate in the employment group at Kramer Levin in New York
0: City. Fantastic. All right. So you guys uh, had a presentation. We were talking about the gig economy. Um, and one of the topics that came out that you said was pretty interesting was about classification between like what is an IC, an independent contractor, mm-hmm. what is an employee, and how do the gig workers fit into that? So uh, what, what can you share with listeners about that?
2: Sure. It was, you know, we spent a, a good deal of time in our talk talking about classification issues because it's one of the, the most interesting issues that gig employers are facing right now. Are there workers employees or are there workers independent right. contractors? And, you know, what cases are our, our finding is that they really don't fit into any of the models, and there are different tests, classification tests, used across used across jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the tests vary within jurisdictions as well, so it can really get quite complicated. Right,
0: those tests were really designed around businesses that had employees and sometimes had contractors, so you could tell whether, wh- whether the person could be classified as an independent contractor or an employee, but the gig economy has changed that. What makes it different?
1: Absolutely. So with the advent and now ubiquity of companies that act as an intermediary between workers and the consumers, the working environment looks very different than the idea of a freelancer who was, you know, working directly with their customers. Right, right. And the other thing that I, I think is pretty interesting and when I when I started to dig into this is to realize that even within the gig economy, there isn't a one-size-fits-all solution because you have about 30% of working adults participated in the gig economy in the last year, but for an average of five hours per month. Yeah,
0: you were talking about that. So 30%, uh, 30%, that's almost a third of people. And five hours a month, it sounds like a little, but I mean, we're talking about a third of the people doing doing something every single month or maybe more on occasional months. So this isn't just a one-off problem. This isn't a little remote issue. This is becoming big.
1: Yeah, and it's when you think about what the right policy is, outcome is, it probably looks different than the adult who's doing it to supplement their income five hours a month than someone who's really using the gig economy to emulate what used to be a full-time job.
0: Sure. Now, I mean, I think uh, the listeners, when we think about the gig economy... People automatically, of course, think of Uber mm-hmm. um, or Fiverr mm-hmm. or Fancy Hands or um, uh, what's the one of the the big one uh, Upwork. We, Upwork, yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they just merged a couple other ones. Is this what we're talking about with the gig economy, or, or does it have different flavors?
1: That's the type of thing we're talking about with the gig economy. But obviously, there are more companies in more different kinds of industries than um, than those that I think are the most in our face.
0: Yeah. So. One of the things you were talking about is how this is affecting the legal marketplace. Yeah. Um, and, and you used a very interesting word. You said legal marketplace disaggregation. Can you just tell us a little bit about what your presentation or what you're talking about with that?
1: Absolutely. So, um, as you know, I run a legal marketplace, and we don't really think of ourselves as being in the gig economy, but we are in the on-demand economy. And what that What's means— What's the difference? Yeah. The way in which I'm thinking about it is different is that for us, the the folks that, are, uh, that work on our supply side, are actually at law firms. So they're thinking about us as a business development channel. And so okay. many of the issues that are at stake when we when we were talking about what's concerning in the gig economy from a policy perspective just don't apply at all okay. in the legal context. But we are increasingly seeing top talent leaving big law firms, yeah to practice law differently, more flexibly, more on their own terms. And I think that with technology like uh, technology and platforms like Priori and others in the space, we're going to see more and more of that kind of flexibility where you don't need an office and an admin and all of these baked-in tools, but you can instead use cloud-based technology to practice law much more flexibly and use apps and platforms to get clients, much like in other industries.
0: Yeah, you talked about it from the, from the like you said, the supply side, um, and the, the, the lawyers are actually working in law firms, but you, you see some of them coming out of law firms and offering these services mm-hmm. as independent individuals, independent contractors. I don't want to use it because it's a term of art that we've been talking about. Mm-hmm. Let's talk, what's this looking like from the demand side? How are people consuming law in this way?
1: So we're seeing a... Really increased. I've been doing this now for about five and a half years, and there's been a there's been a sea change in the last I would say year and a half. We work with uh, major corporates, and I think with the rise of legal operations and digital natives uh, with increasing purchasing power within major organizations, yeah. we're just seeing so much more demand for thinking about who is the right attorney for any project. How can I get the most cost efficient. So how can I maximize cost efficiency and excellence rather than just saying, oh, we should go to this big this big law firm down the street that we've had right. a relationship with for a really long time. So you find time. like
0: general counsel in these organizations might be building their own team, like from someone from the left, someone from the right, someone from the middle, and just putting it all together that's, themselves. That's
1: what we're seeing yeah. um, as, as one of the primary use cases of our platform. We have companies that are hiring a fleet of attorneys who do data privacy work, for example, and they're all throughout the world and they have slightly different expertise and um, and we we're seeing in-house teams using that instead okay. of going to big law firms.
0: Cool, well, we started the conversation today about talking about uh, classification, misclassification, and we alluded to the fact that it's different across jurisdictions, but I was wondering uh, if you could talk a little bit about the case law and how it's shaping up not just case law, but case law legislation, how the law is changing around this gig economy.
2: Sure. It's definitely really interesting. And every day it, it seems that a decision is being made or legislation is being discussed that could potentially have great effects over, you know, across the nation. Particularly in our talk, we talked about one case in California yeah. uh, from 2018. It was Dynamex as uh, the title of the case. And there, the California courts changed the classification test in California oh, wow. to a new test called the ABC test. And it's it's a difficult test for employers who want to classify their workers as independent contractors. To so meet. they
0: lean more heavily towards finding them to be employees.
2: Right, exactly. So, you know, since that decision, a lot of gig employers have started to write letters to their legislators explaining this is an issue for them and, and saying this is a problem and asking them to step in and fix it. So it will be, it will be interesting to see how California addresses this. So that's interesting.
0: so California moved it towards a bias towards employees, mm-hmm. but it's the gig workers who are saying this is hurting us. Like don't it's, do it's that. It's the
2: gig employers that, that are saying employers that. are yes. doing it. Okay. Yes.
0: Um, so the, the, the workers are, are happy to be classified as employees. Right. <laughs> Got it. Um And so you mentioned California. How is this working across the country? How are jurisdictions differing? And and what are the pitfalls for workers and or employers of these gig economy people
2: well the pitfalls are definitely that there are different tests used across the country so for example in pennsylvania they use an economic realities test which is a six-factor test so it's definitely difficult for employers to identify which tests apply um, and it's obviously creating conflicting results as well if you're applying one test you could get a different result than if you're applying another test
0: is there a national test is there a u.s uh, test is it that people can look towards
2: uh, the Department of Labor uses the economic realities test, but okay. again, it, it just depends on on which law um, you're you're dealing with.
0: How do you uh, see this shaking out? How is this going to get fixed?
2: I mean, that's a great question. That's kind of a million dollar question. Um, I I think that- Probably more than a million
0: dollars.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, somebody at some point, probably the federal government is going to have to step in and and realize that, you know, the gig economy doesn't fit into the traditional models of employment and independent contractor. And and there's going to have to be a third bucket created really.
0: That sounds like it. All right. Well, before we close out the show for today, what I'd like to do is have each of you tell the listeners how they can follow up. How can they reach you for more information on this really interesting topic?
1: Absolutely. I can be reached at Basha, B-A-S-H-A dot Rubin, R-U-B-I-N, at PrioriLegal.com. That's P-R-I-O-R-I, legal spelled the normal way, dot com, (laughs) or at Basha Rubin on Twitter.
0: Awesome.
2: And I can be reached at my email address, E-W-A-J-E-R-T at KramerLevin.com.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you. And we have reached the end of the road for today's episode. I want to thank our guests for joining us today. Thank you, Basha. Thank you, Emily. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe, rate, and review us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network.
1: Consult a lawyer.